Hello and welcome to the Anchor Sunday Sermons podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Sunday sermons here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. Got it. So what you're going to learn in Daniel chapter 4 is a situation that happens to Nebuchadnezzar in his pride, in his arrogance, where he thinks he owns the world and, and that he achieved all that he achieved on his own, what you're going to see is this. God's going to break him. And uh, basically the, the concept is God rules in the affairs of men, and he wants Nebuchadnezzar to admit that and accept that. And Nebuchadnezzar at this point has been resisting it, even though the witness of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been... Uh, abundantly clear to him who is the one true God, Nebuchadnezzar is still resisting. Now, what you're going to see happen to Nebuchadnezzar is an application for all Gentile rulers from that day on to even till the Antichrist. It is a warning to every ruler, every king, every president, every prime minister that you better acknowledge God or he will break you. Whether he breaks you in this life or he breaks you in the next, he will break you. And what that so this is really what's happening. It's just not a story about Nebuchadnezzar being broken and humbled. It's about a warning to all world leaders. So you throw in Putin in this, throw in Zelensky, throw in Klaus Schwab, throw in Biden, throw in Kamala, throw in Gavin Newsom, throw them all in this, and it applies to them. Because you'll see the warnings go out to all people. And also on a personal level, you know, we can apply it as well to ourselves in our, in our, uh, in our functioning with the Lord. Because the only way, guys, that's going to save you in the reality that we're in is a humble attitude. Now, I know that sounds cliche, but what I mean is this. Humbleness accepts God's reality. Okay, that's a big key. If you and I are to stay in reality and not be deceived by the media, by not be deceived by the spells, so to speak, that are casting out there. I listened to, uh, yesterday to a, like an hour-long thing with Dr. Robert Malone. You know, he's the guy who invented the mRNA, right? I mean, top-notch guy. But he was—he's um, been studying with, under a guy named, by the name of uh, Matthias. Uh, Dement, um, he's a uh, well-known uh, educator, uh, PhD type guy, who has studied what's going on currently, uh, right now with people's mindset, and then he, you know, he gave examples in history like Nazi Germany and Soviet Union and whatnot. Dr. Robert Malone was saying that what we're seeing in the world is what we call a mass hypnosis. And the, the thing that they have been doing, the, the lead up to this mass hypnosis, is part and parcel of how you would get millions of people to buy into lies and not accept facts and evidence. Now, we talk about that on a spiritual level. They've been Romans 1, right? When you suppress the truth, you, you go crazy and you lose your mind. Well, th- they're, they're coming from a secular standpoint, but they, they agree as we watch what's happening to the world that because of this mass hypnosis that they've done on people, 
where you have world leaders who just don't even think anymore, right? They don't think straight. They're not, no common sense whatsoever. He says they're under hypnosis and they can't get out. And they estimate about 30% of the human population right now is under hypnosis. Where, and then the other 30% doesn't know what to think. And then there's another 30% that's actually resisting this. I, and I'm sure you are resisting it. You're part of the 30% resisting it. But the ones in the middle can be easily swayed if more and more techniques are used on them You'll, you'll move the whole population to mass hypnosis. And they didn't say it stops there. What Dr. Robert Malone was saying and this other doctor that he's following was saying that once you get this mass hypnosis of the general population, you move into totalitarianism. That's what's coming if this doesn't stop. Because they just follow the narrative and they attack those who don't follow the narrative. And that's where we're at. So... When you, when you watch this, this message, not only to Nebuchadnezzar, but to world leaders, it goes to every human being that if you allow yourself to come under a hypnosis of a dictator, of a Fauci or whoever, World Economic Forum, you are going to pay the price in that pride. You will be cut down and humbled some way, somehow by God. And, and that's what we're going to go into. So, there's a lot here. There's a lot of application. So I don't know how much I'll get through it, but we got to take it in stride. So let me ask you this. You ever been around a prideful person that think they're, they think they own the world? Look and see these traits and see if you picked up on this, okay? They usually think that he or she is always right. You're in, someone in your family maybe? I don't know. Kamala Harris? I don't know. They're easily offended. They're like a, a, a glass house, does not like to be corrected. They're very defensive when they are corrected, often complains about circumstances or people, usually ungrateful, often impatient with others and with God, not afraid of temptations. They think they can handle every temptation, secretly ashamed of serving Christ. That's why they're silent. They're silent about what they believe. Likes to talk more than listen. Do you know these people? Freely offers opinions when your, their opinion is not asked for. Desires to be first or best. Needs to be noticed. Obstinate towards authority. Quick to find fault with others. Bold to contradict others. They look to be, actually, when you say something, you say, this guy, it's a nice day. They'll say, no, it's a bad day. If you say it's a bad day, they say, oh, no, it's a nice day. They're always looking to be contrary. You ever notice that kind of person? Demanding and hard to please, not sensitive to the needs of others, boasts of about achievements, lives beyond his or her means, has a hard time forgiving others, and blind to their own spiritual condition. Now, those are some traits that when you see that, you're not seeing humility, you're seeing pride in an individual. If you have one or more of those traits. Now, here's the thing, we all struggle with that, but again, when you get somebody at this level like Nebuchadnezzar, it's hard to bring them back. And the point is that we're trying to make is that when you see this, the only way out of this is for God to put the person on their back where they have no other resources. And many times he puts people on their back and it still doesn't work. That's how resistant they are 
And sometimes even death doesn't wake them up out of this in their pride. Pride is a very deadly thing. But pride starts with the person starting to love themselves and think that they have achieved everything on their own. You and I haven't achieved anything that God hasn't allowed. That's honestly the truth. There are no self-made people. So now let's watch watch what he does to Nebuchadnezzar to show what God does to break a person of this nonsense. Nebuchadnezzar the king. Now, this is his words. So so Daniel's actually recording Nebuchadnezzar's words. To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Notice the phrase, it's not just simply to Babylon, it's to who? Everyone. So Nebuchadnezzar represents, as a whole, the times of the Gentiles. The time when the Gentiles will have control over Israel and Jerusalem up until today and through through, uh, to the the Antichrist. So here's his warning. Now, what you're going to see is actually his conclusion after being broken. Peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God, El Elyon, has worked for me. Now, the reason he's using Most High God is he has now realized who the one true God is, and that the other gods that they were worshiping in Babylon were nothing but mere fallen angels or demons. And that's why he uses the term Most High God. The term comes from when Melchizedek met Abraham, and and Abraham gave a a 10% to uh, Melchizedek in Jerusalem. But Melchizedek refers to God as the Most High God. And it means this, that God is is king over heaven and earth. He is king over the affairs of men. He is king from generation to generation and for eternity. It's, a, it's a, the biggest title you could use for God. And he's, he's admitting this now. He is saved. After this experience, he is saved. Okay, so he's talking from a saved, saved man's experience. How great are the, his signs and how mighty his wonders the signs of the dreams and the wonders of delivering Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. He's figured this out. He is not king. God is king. He figures this out. But he's trying to put a warning out to everybody, to Putin, to Macron, to Biden, to uh, uh, Rocket Man, to Winnie the Pooh, everybody. He's putting a warning out, Right? I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Now, what he's describing is where he had, where, where he had come from and now what, what his work had done for him. He had reached the pinnacle of his career. He had fought in military campaigns. Now he's the king, and, and he has vanquished all of his enemies. He has no outside attacks anymore. There's no internal conflict. He is ruling, and he has no threats. That's why he says, I, rest, I rested in my house. Actually, just means that he was able to be free of fear. Okay, And then he was flourishing, means that Babylon was flourishing now. With no outside enemies, the economy is doing great. Everything's wonderful, and he can take it easy. This is the most dangerous position anyone with pride can be in. When they believe that they have reached a pinnacle, 
when they believe they have enough money where they can sleep at night, not worry about their finances, when they have a massive uh, you know, control of their lives, whether at their peak of their employment or whatever, and they feel that they're set, that is the most dangerous position to be in. Because it's like Paul said, when they say peace and security or peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. It is like the man who built his barns bigger. And he says, sit back, relax. And the parable says, you fool, this night your life will be demanded of you. Do, do, be careful. Pride causes achievement. And that achievement sometimes will get you a false sense of security. Okay, I can be at rest. I'm okay. All, that's all fake. You have no security other than God. Just because you have a large retirement plan doesn't mean you're going to have it. If they go digital, watch that thing get cut in half. Okay? You think, well, I got enough money in the bank. Watch out when they go digital. You're going to lose that. I'm not trying to here to scare you. I'm just saying, do not find safety in money. Do not find safety in that you're the, the, at the height of your career. You can be taken down at any point in time is what God is trying to say. That's what he's saying, because he did. When Nebuchadnezzar at the height of, his ga- uh, height of his game, he was building the s- wonders of the world. One of the seven wonders was the hanging gardens of Babylon that he built for his wife. Absolutely amazing. It was the first time in history that this building had air conditioning. Yeah, you know, without electronics and stuff, the way they built it, the architecture, allowed air conditioning to come through. And as hot as it is in Iraq, this was a major accomplishment to build air conditioned in there. He had water flowing, rivers, everything in the Hanging Gardens, one of the seven wonders of the world. He was an amazing architect. Um, And there's some other recreations of the Hanging Gardens. It was just an amazing thing. But he was at the height, obviously, of his career. Then it happens. Out of all that false security, him being at the top of his game, a dream enters to his mind. I saw a dream which made me afraid. Now, this is interesting. Nothing made Nebuchadnezzar afraid. He had armies at his disposal. Nothing made him afraid because if someone tried to attack him, forget it. His army could just smash him. This is a man that's not afraid, okay? But how does God work in him? He hits him where he will be afraid. And in a dream, Nebuchadnezzar has no defenses. This dream can threaten him, and he has no resources to pull from. He's naked and vulnerable in a dream. Does God know how to get people's attention? Yes. And the one main thing he does is he will actually show them things that will make them afraid to wake them up. And the thoughts of my bed and visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me. And we're talking about the magi, the scholars, right? That they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in. These are all the occultic practices of Babylon and I told them the dream, but they did not know, uh, did not make known to me its interpretation. Again, another jab at the Babylonian religion, the Babylonian scholarship. And we're going to make a connection with this, so don't forget this. 
this is highly important. Where Babylon got its information will be revealed in just a bit. But the Babylonian information didn't stay in Babylon. It went out and spread out and through, through, through the entire world and is with us today. So the information that Babylon had did not just stay there. It actually went into the church too, by the way. You know, I'll, I'll come back to that, okay? But it, Daniel's trying to show that this, their source information is wrong information. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar. According to his name of, of my God, he named him after ba Baal or Marduk. In him is the spirit of the holy God. Notice it says the holy God. How did Nebuchadnezzar know that, that God is holy? All Nebuchadnezzar knew at this point in time was that God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's the God who delivers, and he's the God who makes uh, dreams be known. But all of a sudden, he says, he's the holy God. Where did he get this? Well, scholars say he understood that Yahweh was holy because of Daniel's life. Daniel's life was so holy and so impressive on Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar learned that God was holy through Daniel. <clears throat> Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the Spirit of God, the Holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. So again, here's the principle I wanted to bring out. A person's life always reflects what he or she truly worships. People will know you by your lifestyle, and they will know what you worship by your lifestyle. Do they know you worship Jesus? Is that reflected in your life? It was so prominent in Daniel's life, that's how Nebuchadnezzar learned about God being holy. Are people learning about Jesus and learning that he's holy from uh, our lives? I hope so. These were the visions of, of my head while on my bed. I was looking to behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. Now, this tree um, is going to uh, mean a lot for Nebuchadnezzar. This is interesting about Nebuchadnezzar and the things that, that get said in here. There's a connection with what we have found archaeologically with Nebuchadnezzar. We have inscriptions all over the place from Nebuchadnezzar, but just stay with it. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. So notice there's a map here. You see Israel, where the land of Israel is, and then the tree of Babylon grows there. And notice that this is a tree that spans the reach into the heavens. Okay, And so this goes beyond even Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar. It goes towards all the Gentile empires, which will eventually reach the heavens and be seen to the ends of all the earth. It's talking about globalism. It's a prediction of what comes out of Babylon and through these Gentile empires will eventually one day be global, which exactly Daniel predicted in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, and we are seeing right now the push for globalism. So it goes beyond Nebuchadnezzar, as you can see. So what it's going to happen, what it's basically saying is, look, at one point in history, there will be one man who rules the entire globe 
from Babylon. And that will be the Antichrist. The Antichrist headquarters will be right there in Babylon. That's where it's all going. That's why everything's going back to the Middle East. So it goes beyond Nebuchadnezzar, as you can see, and the prophecy goes beyond. So we know this, that according to Daniel 2, the stone cut out with human hands will destroy the last remaining statue of the Gentile empires, which will be the feet stage. We talked about that in Daniel 2. And right now, what's forming? The global government right now. That's what they're wanting. But it really, it's a return back to Babylon. Klaus Schwab in, is seemingly the one behind all of this, along with the other globalists as well, and the trillionaires and billionaires that are behind this. Look, folks, it's not a conspiracy. They want to do this. Biden wants to do this. All of them want to do this. So the, those, like I said, backing Zelensky, want this to happen. Zelensky was trained by Klaus Schwab, as is Macron, as is Gavin Newsom, as is all these global leaders who are in these places now, want it. So now it's out in the open. And you go to the World Economic Forum, you don't have to guess. They say what they want. They tell you how they're going to do it. Like I mentioned, Zelensky, a globalist, asked for peace, talks with Russia in Jerusalem. Again, this doesn't make any sense politically. But spiritually, it makes all sense. Because we know it's going back to Jerusalem. We know it's going back to Israel. So when you see moves like this, your political pundits are not going to understand this. But you and I do. Because the issue will always be Israel. Putin has his sights set on Israel if he is Gog. That's where it's going. And if he's not, Russia still has their sights set on Israel. That's where it's all going. So I find this amazing how the globalists are going towards Israel. Interesting. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Okay, so this is, this is a, 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 a reference to Nebuchadnezzar, but as you can see, it goes beyond him. It's part of the known world that, yes, everything under Nebuchadnezzar at that point in time was under him, and everyone got their food from him, and everything was abundant, the kingdom was flourishing, but it moves into a prediction that under this global Gentile empire, it will have control of all beasts of the field, all the birds of heaven, all flesh will feed from it. All flesh will feed from it? Yeah, they will control the food supply. When the global government gets in its place, it will start controlling food. This is why you're seeing the food problems, the transportation problems, supply chain problems. Eventually, they will control everything about your food. If they go to a digital currency, they will say, hey, man, you had too many cookies this week, and we're going to back you off because you're on universal health care, and you all can't be eaten like that. And so we're going to limit how much meat, and particularly meat. Their decision is to have one hamburger per month, and that's all the meat you're going to have. Just telling you. You can buy synthetic meat by Bill Gates if you want, I guess. Or now they have human meat. Have you even heard that? 
Yeah, it's disgusting. All the Hollywood elites are into the human meat thing. Just gross, right? But why, why say those things? And this is interesting how you can't make this up. He's saying, telling this to Nebuchadnezzar, and he's telling it for the global government. What he's saying with Nebuchadnezzar is funny, because if you didn't know the archaeological findings, you wouldn't know why he's saying this. But the tree imagery and the idea of everything coming under the branches and being fed by the fruits and the beets of the field and all this other stuff actually goes to what Nebuchadnezzar was thinking at the time because we have his inscriptions. Nebuchadnezzar's inscriptions actually say the same thing as Daniel predicted, that everything in the empire flourished under me. I fed all the animals. I fed all the humans. His inscriptions say, so everything that was said to him in the dream was what he was saying publicly and putting on inscriptions. And then the other inscriptions, why is a tree being referenced? Because the tree was a big deal to Nebuchadnezzar. He boasted in inscriptions of going to Lebanon and cutting down a cedar all by himself. The Lebanon's, the cedars of Lebanon were very famous. Solomon made the temple out of the cedars of Lebanon. And the cedars of Lebanon were very famous, huge, huge trees, kind of like our sequoias. And so he boasted that he cut one down by himself in one of his inscriptions. So the fact that you see this language and the fact that you see trees actually matches what Nebuchadnezzar was thinking in his inscriptions. You would never know that had we not... Uh, found that in archaeology. Anyway, I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. Now, in chapter 4 is where we get a, a glimpse of the watchers. A watcher is an angel in this sense because it says a holy one. So now what kind of watcher are we talking about? We're talking about good watchers, uh, good angels, but this is a class of angels called watchers. Angels probably is not the best term to use for these spirit creatures that God God uh, made. There's cherubim, there's seraphim, and then there's angels, but angels really more of a duty. It's more of a messenger type of, of, of uh, role. But there's different spirit creatures that God developed, and I'm uh, sorry, uh, created and then developed watchers are a different class of angels. And um, we get clues by their, their understanding um, of what they do by, by the Aramaic here. It's an ear, an ear in Aramaic. And, and in the Babylonian religion, these were the apkalu. The watchers that are referred to, they do a specific duty for God. They watch. And I know it sounds... Re- obviously with their name, but that's why they're called that. Their job is to be a guardian for the good, and they, so they watch over the good, and they watch over the bad people as well. They watch over the bad people uh, to not only be witnesses of what the bad people are doing, but also to execute judgment on them when God so determines to do it. They sit and they watch. It's all they do. Now, we might have a watcher that watches over Rock Harbor. I I have a good hunch we do because of Scripture saying that all the seven churches always have to the angel of the seven churches. So we have a watcher angel assigned to our church, and that angel watches everything we do. 
that angel ministers to us, but also protects us in, in many various ways. That's his duty. He also protects us from infiltration. He will, he will make known to that. So we have a watcher angel as well. Okay. A watcher angel will be used to testify to, for, for the ungodly at the, at the great white throne judgment. Okay. So a watcher angel is the one who delivers this message to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I will say this. There are bad watchers. There are bad watchers that created one of the major atrocities in the Old Testament. They, they rebelled with Satan, and so they, they were a watcher in position, but they're very high-ranking, and they did something very awful. So watchers left their abode. These are evil watchers. These watchers left their abode and came to earth. And what ended up happening, according to Genesis 6, is they uh, took human women uh, as marriage partners and uh, breeded with them. And they produced what we call Nephilim. Nephilim are either giants or they have superhuman uh, strength or traits or intelligence based on being a hybrid from watcher angels and cohabitating with human women. Now, I think that most people have never heard this, so it kind of blows them away, but this is the view of the Jews. This is the view of the early church until Augustine stamped it out. And now we're back into understanding the Bible literally, and there's no other way you can translate Genesis 6 other than what it says it happens. Now, in Second Temple literature, every, every Jew know, knew during the, the time of Jesus about the watchers. Goliath was a Nephilim, which means he is a descendant from a watcher angel coming upon a human woman. Now, what happened then is before the flood, this went ballistic. It went crazy. Human DNA was tampered with. Animal DNA was tampered with. So the primary reason for the flood was to wipe out these Nephilim or the tampered DNA. Now, it happened again according to even Genesis 6, in the land of Canaan before Joshua went in there. And you remember Joshua said, hey, um, we went into the land, but there's giants in the land. There's Anakim, Nephilim, Raphaims. These are giant clans. These are Nephilim. And he says, we're grasshoppers like them. And it's true. They weren't using hyperbole. They they truly were because as David fought Goliath, you would be considered a grasshopper in comparison to Goliath. Goliath was the last of the Nephilim tribes. He had four brothers. David takes him out, and, his, and David's family ends up taking the other four out. And that's all we hear of the Nephilim at that point in time. But there are occurrences, I must tell you, in the occult where this activity is happening. Now, they don't produce Nephilim, but women are being raped in the occult by demons or fallen angels. It happens. I have to tell you that. It does. I've talked to many women that have been in the occult, and that that's practice happens. That's even why the Catholic Church, I'm not a fan of the Catholic Church, but that's why the Catholic Church even has the doctrine of the incubi and secubi. It's because it does happen, it's a phenomenon, and I've, I've talked to people that it has happened. I talked to a lady that was raped by one. This happens. This is why Paul says to the Corinth Church, to women that cover their hair, in that congregation, he says, because of the angels. So there's a lot going on here, okay? So what these watchers did, they got penalized and put in Tartarus for what they did. 
And they're in Tartarus until the great white throne judgment uh, for what they did. Because the whole point was to destroy the DNA line of the Messiah. Messiah is supposed to be 100% human. And what Satan and these watcher angels decided to do is corrupt the human DNA so that Messiah could never come. That was the whole goal of it. That's why Messiah, after his death, went into Tartarus, according to Peter, and proclaimed victory over the watcher angels in Tartarus. So it got pretty rough, but I want you to understand something. Why is a watcher angel being used for Nebuchadnezzar? Now let me give you the background. This is why how God speaks to Nebuchadnezzar. The Apkalu, as the Babylonians called them, we would call them watcher angels, but in the Babylonian religion, it is the Apkalu, the watchers, who gave Babylon their information about how to build, how to do architect, how to make weapons, how to tap into the occult. This goes back to Genesis 6. So according to extra-biblical literature, the, the literature that was used at Second Temple era during Jesus' first, uh, first coming, the, the, the idea behind the watchers is that when they did a deal, it didn't, they didn't rape the women. They actually married them. And, it, and in that situation, according to Jewish oral law, the watcher angels were asking permission from the human fathers for their, for their daughters. And in exchange for giving their daughter to the watcher angel, the watcher angel would then give that individual information, secret information, to make them wise, to make them powerful, to make them strong. So they would teach them metallurgy. They would teach them how to construct things. That's why when you look at ancient architecture, we still don't know how they cut the stones as close as a laser cut. We have no idea how they did that, still to this day. But they got the information from watcher angels. They also had medical information. But the big deal that the watcher angels gave them to the, to the, 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 the people there was occultic information. How to tap into the occult. How to get into the spiritual realm. Hence, what happened there flourished in Babylon under Nimrod and continued to stay there even to Nebuchadnezzar's day. So the magi, the soothsayers, the sorcerers in Babylon that Daniel's dealing with, that all their occultic information is coming from watcher angels. So do you see the conflict that's happening here in Babylon with Daniel and the fact that Nebuchadnezzar's given a dream, but he has given it to a good from a good watcher angel, not a bad watcher angel, because their whole system is based on the evil watchers. There's always a connection, guys. It's deeper than you think. So this is to set Nebuchadnezzar on his heels because to him, in his religion, it is the Apkalu, the watcher angels, that gave Babylon its majesty, gave it its place in the world. And it is what makes Babylon work is the occult system. Now, let me bring it to today. The Babylonian system is still with us, guys. It is still flourishing. It's not just centered in Babylon. It's over the entire globe. 
And because of that, that information from the Babylonian system is working to hypnotize people in this world to accept its values and ways of dealing with things in the spiritual realm. This is why you see an alternative morality being pushed on all of us. That alternative morality is coming from watcher angels, bad watcher angels, evil watcher angels from thousands of years ago and is now being used to hypnotize this whole world. It is also hypnotizing the church. The information from the watcher angels infiltrated the church in about 300, in about the, 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 the fourth century in the 300s AD. The church then took on Babylonian traits. That's why the warnings to uh, Pergamum and Thyatira are warning about a woman introducing false doctrine into the church. That false doctrine started and it introduced Babylonianism into the church, which is still with us today. The fight that we're having inside the church is because other believers, other churches, other congregations have assumed Babylonian practices in their church and don't even realize it. And so this fight is about information. God is trying to point out, I am the only one who reveals to you, not angels. Do not listen to fallen angels and demons. They will give you the wrong information. They will exacerbate your sin. So what happened? When the watcher angels gave information to these, these people, these fathers, they turned into crime syndicates. They had power beyond because they can make weapons now out of metal. They did incantations and sorcery that would cause demons to, uh, they would partner up with demons to attack other people and to put other people down. So they were exalted because they, they, they bowed a knee to these watchers and then they could rule over other people. Do not think for a moment that what you see going on in this world, there's not a satanic component behind it. There is. Because anyone that bows a knee to the watchers or Satan will get satanically uh, 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 backing from it and they will be able to achieve their goals uh, temporarily in this life. Here's the thing I always say. How do these people get in these places? They're dumber than a box of rocks. Have you noticed that? I mean, for goodness sakes. I'm not trying to be mean, but man, I, they don't have an IQ past 80. But how did they get there? Because if you bow a knee to Satan, he will exalt you in his system. That's what happened. So all of a sudden, these, these watcher angels who were given information to, their, to these fathers became crime syndicates, powerful people, rulers, and eventually uh, started ruling territories, and eventually you end up with a Nimrod, and you end up with uh, you know Nebuchadnezzar later on. I know that's probably more than what you want to understand, but you have to understand the background of this language that he's using. There's a reason why Daniel's using watcher language, okay? So anyway, he cried aloud and said, thus, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip it, uh, strip of it, of its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its bushes. So in the dream, the tree gets chopped down. Okay, I'm following. Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots in the earth. 
So don't take the entire tree out. Just cut it down. Bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. So you have the stump. Let's put a band of bronze and iron around the stump. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him... Oh, wait a second. Let him... We went from an it to a him. Graze with the beasts of the grass of the earth. So notice there's a clue here in the text. You go from an it, the tree, to a him. So the tree is Nebuchadnezzar, okay? Again, personifying the Gentile empires. So what's going to happen is I'm going to humiliate Nebuchadnezzar, but I'm not going to kill him. And I'm going to preserve his life, and that's what the idea of the, the brass, or, or sorry, the bronze and the iron wrapped around the the uh, the stump is to preserve him, that he will get, eventually get his kingdom back because Nebuchadnezzar will repent of this. So he, they are going to cut the tree down. So it means he's going to be he's going to be humiliated. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast, and let him let seven times pass over him. So here's the humility, Nebuchadnezzar. When you do not acknowledge the God of heaven. You are acting like an animal. An animal doesn't even know its own creator. An animal will not bow a knee. It just does what it does because it's an animal. Nebuchadnezzar, you're on the level of an animal now. If you want to act like an animal, I will then give you the heart of an animal. This is Romans 1. I will give you over to what you want. You want to be an animal? Act like an animal. This is what he's doing with Putin. Uh, uh, Putin, you want to act like an animal? Then you'll be an animal. And to everyone else that will not bow a knee to God. Here's the interesting thing. We're made in the image of God, but when you don't follow him, you act like an animal. That's the idea. Seven times pass over means that this is going to happen seven years. I'm going to humiliate you, and it's going to take seven years to humiliate you. Well, what's that going to happen? Well, this decision is by the decree of the watchers, the good watchers, and the sentence by the word of the holy ones. Now, notice who's involved in this. It's not just God making the decision. It's in his heavenly counsel with these watchers. Notice what it says, the decree of the watchers and the word of the holy ones. Here's what you have to understand. God has a council, and on that council are high-ranking angels, and he keeps counsel with them. They're part of the council. You and I will eventually be invited to be in that council once we're out of this life. We are going to be joined with him. That's why you see the 24 elders in front of the throne in Revelation uh, uh, chapter 5. When you see the 20, that's a representative of the church being part of the divine council. So eventually what God wants is a divine council of not only humans, but angels as well. But before we're there, before that happens, angels were are a part of this divine council. That's why you see the decree coming from not only God, but them as well. So God allows them to be on the council. You'll see this many times in Scripture where it talks about God's divine council. It includes the watchers. They're very high-ranking, and they're part of that council. Anyway, in order that, that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men, now, this is interesting. How, how do we interpret this in light of free will? Because it says, look, I give it to him wherever I will. It's my decision who goes in these positions. Nebuchadnezzar was my decision. 
and I set it over the lowest of men. I can set someone that's low, and I can put them in and exalt them. It's my decision. How does that work with free will? Because if I were to believe this, I shouldn't vote. Because God's going to put whoever he wants in the presidency. How does that work like that? Ah, unfortunately, the Calvinists have messed this up and says, yeah, you're right. We shouldn't vote because God's just going to put on whoever he wants to put on. That's the misinterpretation of this because you have to use the analogy of Scripture. And Scripture says your free will is taken into account in God's decisions. He knows what we would do even before he created us. He takes our free will into his account, into his plan. So that's me, that, that's why it does matter to vote because he already has taken that into his plan. See how God brings free will even though he is setting up kings and taking them down. He allows our free will to intermingle with that and be part of the plan. So the Calvinists are wrong. They're not incorporating human freedom into God's plan. That's why we tell you to vote. That's why we tell you to go out there and do things. So here's the thing. When God puts somebody on that position, all these other factors are coming into it. All these other factors of whether the free will is coming in, his plan, his purposes, uh, or sometimes a judgment. I think we're being judged right now with the leadership we have. It's like what he told Israel. When Israel got crazy, and the United States is crazy now morally, you know what he did to Israel? He says, here's the deal. You can read this in Isaiah 5, or 3, I think, 3 or 5. I will put children to rule over you. That will be your punishment. I will put children to rule over you. And then, when a good leader comes, you won't be able to get the good leader because he doesn't want to get into the mess. Now, I'm paraphrasing what Isaiah said, but that's what Isaiah says. You're going to have children to rule over you, and good leadership will say, uh-uh, I don't want any part of that. And good leaders will back off and won't get involved. That's when you know you're in judgment, is when children are ruling over you. Let me ask you the question. Do children rule over us now? Yeah. Look at our boards. Look at our school boards. They're children. They're hypnotized, right? This is the dream, uh, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. So he knows Daniel can do this. Then Daniel's name, who was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. He understands what, what's at stake. He's about to break the news that, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be broken. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpre- interpretation concern your enemies. So, so Nebuchadnezzar, I hope this is not about you. I hope it's about your enemies. He's trying to be nice, but it's about him. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. For your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. Inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, 
and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. So it's a reiteration of what's going down. This is, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree by the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall, who shall, who's they? The watchers. Remember what I told you. They watch even the bad people, and when God says, judge them, it's through the angels of the watchers that execute judgment. So the watchers will drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you, who's they? The watchers make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know, till what? Till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of man and gives it to whomever he chooses. Till you know that you're not a self-made man. Until you know that God put you on that throne. That's how long this will take. And that's the key, until you know. How long will this go on? How long does it take God to break somebody until they know? That's how long. Could it take 30 years? Yes. Could it take 40 years? Yes. Could it take their deathbed? Yes. But until they know. Now, here's the thing. I've seen people on their deathbed still not come to faith in the Messiah. The deathbed experience didn't even scare them. So guess what? When will they know? After they die. He's going to prove it to them either in this life or the next. And what he's trying to tell every human being, every ruler, you bow a knee to me or I will force you one day to bow to me because I will break you either in this life or I'll break you in hell. But either way, you're going to bow a knee to me because every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, right? Everyone will do it. So now he's given a probationary period to human beings and Nebuchadnezzar. I'm giving you this period to wake up, to get out of your, 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 your zombie-like experience and bow a knee to me now. Because if you don't, I will force you to do it. That's what he's doing to him. He's forcing him. Inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the tree, the root of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you. So you're going to get it back because he's already saying you're going to come back from this uh, after you come to know that heaven rules. So, so he's already telling them you're going to come back from this. You're going to be okay, but you're going to learn. Therefore, O king, let my advice be accepted of you. Break off your sin sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Now, what Daniel's trying to do is you're not going to be able to stop this, but, but maybe perhaps if you repent of what you're doing, then uh, God will give you a lengthening of days after you're past this. Now, what is he trying to say? This is not Daniel giving a salvation message to Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, I'm sure Daniel has already done this. What the issue here is, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to stop thinking that you're the king of the entire earth. You must acknowledge that God is. That's what he's wanting to repent of. Stop that. And notice how he says, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. 
Now, why does he throw that in? Is he a social justice guy? No. It's because in every dictatorship, every authoritarian leader, the poor always get trampled on. Whether you're talking about Nazi Germany, whether you're talking about Soviet Union, whether you're talking about China, and now today here in America. The poor always pays the price for tyrants and authoritarianism and dictatorship. Are you not paying the price for authoritarian leaders? You're paying the price, right? Who's affected by this? Typically, the poor is the one who gets hit the, fir- the, the most, right? Your food prices. Who's affected by this? The rich? No. In dictatorships, in authoritarians, it's always the poor that gets hit. Your food prices are getting hit. How about inflation? Who does inflation affect first? The poor. How about this one? Like I mentioned, Joe signs an a, a executive order to create a digital currency. Who's going to pay first? The poor. Because you know what? In order to buy your digital credits, you will have to spend $1 to get one and a half credits. So it's not an even exchange. Who comes bad on that deal? The poor, right? You see how it works? It's always that way. And Nebuchadnezzar, it's just, he's no different. It happened to him. And here's the executive order about the digital currency. Anyway, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 months. He was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, it's, it is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for my honor of my majesty. You see the arrogance there. I did this myself. I did it my way. While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, the watchers, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know the most high rules in the kingdom and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. Now, we have an understanding of what happened to him now with our modern modern medical science. What happened to him is a disease called lycanthropy. There's many cases of lycanthropy happening to people where they actually start believing they're an animal, and they've studied this. This is where the concept of the werewolf came from, right? I know werewolves are fictitious, but the idea is... When a human being gets lycanthropy, they start believing that they're either like a cow or a wolf or they believe they're some type of grazing animal. And there's been documentation that these people have lived dozens of years just simply eating grass and water. Seriously, man. They, they, they've studied these people in mental institutions. And they like all of a sudden, they can eat grass. They don't eat anything. And they survive on grass and water. It's a weird, the weirdest thing. But anyway, it's a very rare phenomenon, but it does happen. Well, it happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He got ly- uh, lycanthropy by God's judgment, and that's to wake him up. Now, let me ask you this. Will God do anything he can to wake people up? Yeah, he'll give you ly- lycanthropo- uh, lycanthropy. You act like an animal. Anyway, this is what Nebuchadnezzar started doing. He started grazing in the, in the fields with the animals as a judgment until he understood what was happening. So at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. What is the key? He lifted his eyes to heaven. That right there is his statement of salvation. Why is that? Now, that's not a phrase we typically use. We we say, oh, I got saved. 
In the old days, this is what they said. I lifted my eyes to heaven because Jesus said to Nicodemus, when I am lifted up, I will do what? I will draw all men to myself. The idea is you look up to salvation because salvation comes from heaven, from God. The, when he says, I lifted my eyes to heaven, it means that our common vernacular is, I got saved. I looked by faith to heaven where salvation is there. And my understanding, what happened? What returned to him once he did that? My understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. So everything came back the minute he looked to heaven for salvation. That's it. That's his conversion right there. He's telling you. And he goes for his dominions and everlasting dominions, his kingdoms from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? There it is. There's the fruit of his salvation, his proclamations about God. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor, my splendor returned to me. My counsels, nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty has added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, prayed and extolled the honor of the king of heaven, all of the, whose works are truth and his ways are justice, and those who walk in pride he's able to put down. Very true. So, application, we got to get out of here. If there's a national acceptance of God, then the nation will receive a blessing. That's the idea here. If there's a national rejection of God, then the nation will find disaster. That's what's happening here. Not only in America, but around the world, as the world rejects God. When humans resist and reject God, they will act like an animal. Look what they do in the streets. When humans accept God, they will act as he intended them to act, as image bearers. That's the way it works. This guy is proving he's acting like an animal, right? I find it funny they found a dog that looks like him. He's acting like an animal, right? He's out of control. But that's what happens to these guys. The idea then, that because Nebuchadnezzar had to realize, look, you didn't build this kingdom, God did. And he, this is the principle for us. Don't build our kingdoms here. You have to build yourself into the lives of people because only the kingdom of God matters. And the only way you see that kingdom is building yourself into the lives of people, not building your own kingdom. We must accept the reality of us to live in God's reality. What is the reality of us? We're made in God's image, no doubt, but our sin nature has marred it. Our sin nature causes us to sin, obviously, to be weak, to become incomplete, to be dependent, to be poor in spirit. That reality should drive you to God. When you truly know who you are, it humbles you and it drives you to Jesus. That's why when people say, well, I'm not into the church thing. I don't really want to read my Bible. I don't really want to go to Bible study or anything like that. I'm not in the mood. I just don't feel it. You know why they don't feel it? Because they don't understand humility. They don't understand the reality of themselves. They are getting into a place like Nebuchadnezzar saying, hey, I'm doing great, man. I feel great. I feel fine. I'm good. It's a placebo. It's fake. It's not real. When you know the spiritual reality of you, you will claw your way to church. You will claw your way to a Bible study. You will claw your way to read the word of God because you will see how desperate you are. But if you don't, it's because of pride. A denial of reality uh, uh, of one's spiritual poverty or in spirit, Jesus said, causes one to become prideful. When you deny it, you won't, you won't be honest with yourself. You just simply won't. You can't be honest with yourself. And lastly, humbleness is the only proper way to live in reality. Pride makes us create unrealities about ourselves. 
It is the cure for selfishness, self-absorption, and narcissistic tendencies. Humility is a big deal, but it's the only way you and I can survive in this world. If we go into pride, guys, you will go into fantasy world. You will go into fantasy world. Now, let me give an illustration. I'll end right here. I knew a doctor was an amazing heart surgeon. And the gift of his knowledge and the use of his hands to do delicate heart surgery was uncomparable. He was amazing. Do you know what happened? He created, he started having a God complex, which sometimes happens to doctors, right? Because they're saving lives and all that stuff. And his head got too big for himself. Pinnacle of his game, multimillionaire, and it, his skill was unmatched. Do you know what happened to that guy? God humbled him. He started developing arthritis in his hands. And it got so bad, he couldn't perform surgery anymore. And he lost his identity. And he, he too went into a time where he was humbled and didn't know what he was going to do because his hands were like a claw now. And it, it, and it didn't stop until he recognized it was God who gave him the medical skill to do what he was doing. That it was God that gave him the know-how and the, the hands to be able to do this delicate heart surgery. He never went back into the surgery room because he still retained his arthritis in him. But he went into teaching, he went into all kinds of other things, and actually was able to share more information on a broader scale with other doctors rather than being isolated and just working by himself on patients. He was able to spread that knowledge. So the point that I want to make about that is this. Pride precedes humiliation. But humiliation can precede exaltation. If you allow yourself to be humbled, then God will exalt you like he did that doctor. His career wasn't over. God just wanted him to admit what was going on, and then he wanted to exalt him to use him in a higher position to affect more people. That's what he can do for us if we will be humble. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Sunday Sermons. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has recently started a second podcast called The Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for The Anchor Bible Study. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.